Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of Black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Black Coffee is recorded before a live audience every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern at Pause, located at 736 Luthrope, Detroit, Michigan, 48202. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Black Coffee Podcast and don't miss the history of Black Detroit. All right, we are back once again in the Samson Foundation. Um, Kicking everything off as we always do with Black Coffee, the podcast through Detroit is Different Network. Kari Frazier here with Frida. Frida's in full effect. Hey. Frida's actually bringing a person that's entrenched in the cultural experience of Detroit and also happens to be a neighbor of Frida. So it was like reaching out to the person next door. But the person next door to Frida ain't your average person next door. This isn't... um, I guess what what would it be Mr. Furley or uh, <laughs> 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 it's, it's not uh, <laughs> like uh, I don't even know any other classic neighbors in the pantheon of American culture. Uh, she is next door to an artist, and he came two generations deep. James E. James A. are in full effect, and you can give more of the background. You were like, we should really get them to talk about what they do with art. So right, give right. give a more formal introduction. Sure, so uh, James A. McKissick, Matt Galleries. We've been neighbors in the New Center area now for how long, James? About 15 years. Oh my goodness, yeah. So um, James, a native of Detroit, is that right? Well, I was not born here, but I am a native because I came here when I was six weeks old. Oh, yeah, that makes you a native. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we have been neighbors for 15 years. He has been a great neighbor, a great friend, supporting the numerous ventures that I've had that have required art in some capacity or another or framing in some capacity or another both when I was with Michigan Roundtable and in the different kind of events that we do here, both on-site as well as off-site. I'm just grateful for the friendship that we have been able to um, develop and sustain over these years. And of course, James Eric McKissick, son is in the house. A little holla for the son, please. Hey. Have not had a chance to, to spend as much time with James E., but looking forward to our discussion today. Uh, One of the reasons why I wanted to sit down with you is to talk about really the work, James, that you have, James A., that you have done for uh, a very long time. And I know you'll let us know a little bit about how long you've been doing this, what made you get into the business, uh, why have you stayed in the art world, are you compelled because it's a passion or because it is a good job, you know, what is, what is it that makes this work so meaningful to you? So much so that your son now has not only the vision, but the acumen to take it to the next level and really excited to find out more about what the next level means. Um, so wanting to start, start the conversation off with just a little bit of history. Tell us about you, tell us about Matt Galleries. Okay. Um... Mac Galleries started in 
probably uh, prior to 1990, I think 1989, 88, out of my basement. I was uh, photographer and I had my own dark room and once I started enlarging pictures I didn't have anything to do with to, mm -hmm. what am I do with enlarged pictures you know so I've decided I'm gonna try and frame them and that's how Matt Gallery started okay. out of my basement and from my basement we went to um, St. Francis Church School where there was an art colony there in the school and from there, I went to um, Jefferson, across from Belle Isle, and it was what Creative Arts and Frames at that time. Then we moved down to Lafayette Park, hmm. and from Lafayette Park, when they closed it up, uh, we came over here to. Can you give the the years you were in these different locations? And also, you say a house. What what neighborhood was your house in at the time? What do you call that? Uh, aviation subdivisions where we hit the house. No. Okay. okay. Moral Circle, and um, West Side. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> West Side, like major cross streets, would be near um, uh, Tireman, Joy Road, Wyoming. Near okay. Dope McKenzie. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So McKenzie's neighborhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely neighborhoods. And then also like uh, you were a lot of different downtown community so like downtown locations at a time where 90s mm -hmm. downtown Detroit was like a different cultural feel uh, than today what's happening downtown uh, how long were you in that in those downtown locations well I was in um, I was in the uh, school for about a year or two and I went to um, Jefferson across from Belle Isle mm -hmm. next to um, Church's Chicken Okay. Okay. Uh, we went there after, um, what's his name? He had a gallery over there. And he was probably with Morgan, uh, Henry Morgan. Is it Henry Morgan? I am not sure. He, that doesn't sound familiar to He me. was one of the first black galleries, uh, art galleries, uh, to... Um, to establish in Detroit. Okay, Henry Morgan. I yes. think his I think his name was Henry. Let's see. Let's yeah, we had to learn a little more about Mr. Morgan at some point. Yeah, and um, he had his gallery was called Upstairs Upstairs Gallery. Okay. Remember that? No. Oh, okay. Mm -mm. And when he left there, I I came in, and then I stayed there for about a couple of years, and I got into Lafayette Park mm -hmm. when. Um, it was nothing down there, you know. Uh, the section, the commercial section of uh, Lafayette, uh, Lafayette Towers, yeah. was uh, empty. Were you there? What was the coffee house that was there? Were you there at the same time that that coffee house was on the corner? Oh yeah, okay. it was there before then. Coffee and cream yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They what they, they were one of the uh, ones that came in to fill it up, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack, cross the alley. Mm -hmm. You remember uh, Jack from Cross the Alley, the barber? No, I don't think so. His his daughter, uh, what's her name? M Melissa. 
Okay. You, we've talked about her. Melissa yeah. L. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, she lived right across the alley okay. on the corner. Okay. And Jack had the barber shop in Lafayette Park. Okay. And he was probably the only one there besides Stacy, Stacy's mother. Yes. And Stacy was in Lafayette Park, and that was all that was back in that commercial end. Then when I came in, um, it became, you know, get, got more uh, involved in the community, I guess. So uh, as a destination, what was it like as far as uh, how were people receiving your business at the time uh, in Lafayette Park? Like a, as you were moving locations, what type of traffic flow did you get? Did you see a, a change in the clientele and how were people receiving art? Well, black art was uh, was a beginning stages. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when we came in, it was sort of slow at the time, but then my son wanted, uh, when he graduated from college, he wanted to own his own business. Mm-hmm. So he came back home and said, uh, let's do uh, another art gallery. So he done one in- Millender Center. Millender Center. Oh, Millender Center. So we had a facility at Lafayette Park and a facility well, we had two facilities in Lafayette Park and one facility at Millender Center. I did not know that. Okay, yeah. down the street. Uh, what? Uh, when did you open, and uh, what what type of art did you have there, and what audience were you getting? Then we opened up as Creative Arts and Frames in 1991, and you know it was an evolution for us as well as the community to what type of things that we were carry and what would be an interest of people. So um, we didn't, we kind of had to learn things the hard way, mm-hmm. which means um, we purchased some art that um, wasn't really our niche and it wasn't community specific. You know, we, we started off purchasing things that what we thought people might like, and then we transformed into purchasing things that we like. Okay. And if we were passionate about it, then that passion trans formed and transmitted to others. Okay, explain a little bit about that because uh, when you're selecting pieces, uh, when you're thinking to yourself, uh, let me think customer first. Is I'm a marketing firm. I'm always thinking that you know I want to shape and, and angle things for the customer. But what you all found a success in actually seeing what you seek as first and having more of a passion for it. So how did mm-hmm. how did you kind of get into that scope of recognizing that it's really the the your eye and, and your love for the art that will uh, engage the, the customer to having a better understanding of the pieces and knowing what to select and then knowing how to curate it? I think um, as time goes on, I think it's my father would attest, you start to develop an eye or your own particular eye for art and things that you find are either creative um, techniques, um, color, palettes, um, stories, and it just develops over time. You mm-hmm. know, I think that as far as um, African-American art, um, we're kind of at the vanguard of things. I think it kind of followed maybe good times when they started showing art there, mm-hmm. as well as on the Cosby Show, and they had started showing art there. Mm-hmm. So you had some significant, you know, African American artists come out of, you know, Michigan, 
as well as some of the other major cities and there are started popping up places and people uh, started gravitating towards it. There seems to be this myth that uh, African Americans, people of color, don't have the same level of appreciation and value of art. Mm -hmm. what, is your, what is your take on that? You're right, they don't. Is it higher or is it, so, so what is our relationship with art as a community? Well, it's getting better now, you know. In fact, uh, we're beginning to have a lot more collectors and uh, uh, with the word being out, uh, trying to help them help themselves because uh, art is uh, collectible and of uh, value. Mm -hmm. And when you get it at the low end, it will increase in value, it will always increase in value. And um, black folks now are beginning to learn that, you know, so we have more collectors and uh, more people are getting involved buying black art. And uh, I was having a discussion with someone about the difference between buying art for appreciation versus collecting. What's your take on the difference between that? Because as a person that, I guess I'm buying art for an appreciation, I, I like pieces that I like more so than buying pieces that sometimes I look at and I say, I don't know, like people tell me it costs the value, but I don't get it. So. Mm -hmm. Well, in my, from my opinion, I believe that it doesn't have to be a, uh, a, delinea a delineation between the two. So you can collect something of value that you can really, um, you know, basically we want to have be begin to develop a trust or a lineage uh, so you can pass down from generation to generation. You can start to develop and purchase um, things that you're passionate about, that you're interested in, as well as having a, a substantial value associated with it. So you don't have to buy something that you don't like just because you feel like, oh, it's a good investment. You can buy something that you, you know, would love to see mm. and it enlightens your life, as well as um, becoming and being a value. Well, I think that's uh, that's the beginning stages of being a collector. Buy what you like, and then uh, it might appreciate. But uh, we, as a gallery, uh, we like to uh, be able to sell to everybody. Mm -hmm. So prints and numbered prints and everything is also of value. You know, it can increase in value. It depends on the artist. Mm -hmm. So uh, you don't necessarily have to buy original pieces to uh, get some art that will appreciate and value. So I would imagine that in your business, because you've been in it since the 80s, is that right, late 80s? Mm -hmm. yes. That part of your mission is to provide some education, some art education. And how, mm -hmm. so how do you go about getting your customer to grow or getting those who are not customers to begin to see the opportunities uh, and the love of art. I mean, some folk are not going to buy art for an investment, but just because it's, exactly. it's aesthetically mm -hmm. pleasing mm -hmm. and it, it moves their soul or mm -hmm. makes them remember a time gone by. But how do you continue to evolve and mature that eye and that palette to sustain your customer base? Uh, 
my opinion is that when it takes time, you know, for someone to develop that eye for themselves and that appreciation for themselves generally. So they might, you know, the price point where they might purchase their first piece, you know, might be at A. And over time, they, you know, maybe they gain a better appreciation as things go along. And then the next price point will be at price point B. And then the next price point will be at price point C. So you, you're going to have some people that are comfortable with A and they'll be at A, but you're going to have a certain segment that, you know, see something and they say, wow, I really love that piece. You know, I have to have it and I really um, see the value in it. And that's, I just see a growth. So do you consider yourselves businessmen, artists, artists, businessmen, how, how do you fit in, in the spectrum of the art industry? Hmm. Well, I think my father is an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's, his eye for um, being a master framer um, is truly a, you know, art form. And, you know, I'm concerned that, you know, those type of art forms are artisans are not, you know, readily available anymore, you know, like you're losing it in, in the community across, mm-hmm. you know. You know, when I look at housing stock and all the detail that goes into many of the houses, you know, it might even be as simple as plaster work. It's hard to find an artisan that's a master at mm-hmm. a particular task. Um, so I certainly consider my father an artist. And me, myself, I consider myself um you know, a businessman, as well as, um, uh, you know, Detroit community uh, supporter. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I have questions about more so like the history and the background. You said that you were six weeks in to Detroit. Where did you all come from? Where did you move from? I was, I was born in Opelika, Alabama. I have no idea what that, that how big of awesome. a town. That's how awesome. big of a town is that? <laughs> I need some pictures right now. <laughs> <laughs> Opelika is somewhere near Phoenix City, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Okay. It's not far because my, my mother's parents' farm was in uh, Opelika, and my father's parents farm was in Phoenix City mm-hmm. and Phoenix City is across the river from um, Georgia okay okay in fact Phoenix City was a, there was a big uh, movie about it back in the 40s they mm-hmm. were rough uh, okay so when you say uh, the movie it like uh, black white relations rough or like just Rough all around, forties rough. Yeah, they were they were murderers and all that stuff. You know, yeah. gambling, high high life. Interesting. But my 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 father's parents was on a farm. You know, okay. And they were both parents had uh, both grandparents had a number of acres, which I have yet found out how they acquired it. Yeah, I was gonna say for a black family to have yeah. acres of land, that had to have been very affluent. What what led your family to come to Detroit? Oh, my father just decided he wanted to 
get away from Alabama, and my mother definitely wanted to get away, you know. Okay. And uh, when she left, she wasn't particular about going back. So it doesn't sound like you've been back to the place where you were born. Couple, you know, I we used to go when I was a kid, but I, you know, I wasn't paying attention. Okay. Uh, and I and I went back when my grandparents died, and uh, when my my mother and sold their property, you know, I was there with them then. What uh, what community in Detroit did you all do you remember most growing up when you were a child? Oh, uh, the West Side, Thirtieth Street, Saint right. Stephen. Tabernacle, New Light, Hartford. Okay, so so you basically grew up in not far from this community exactly. itself. Yeah. Okay, thirtieth Tabernacle at the time, uh, Olympia was was around mm-hmm. um, Northwestern. You North, went to school. The North original Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah. I'm a Northwestern person too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Coating it up. Oh. So. Uh, <laughs> So, what was uh, what was the the experience in reference to art at the time? Just growing up, like, were you always interested? Did it did it stand out to you when you were a kid? Did people say like, yeah, you'll probably end up being an artist, or was it just one of those things that you just saw and you appreciated? No, I was uh, I created a lot of hobbies. I had all type of hobbies. You know, I had a dark room. I had uh, done ceramics. Was this at North from Northwestern? Because I know oh, Northwestern no. had a lot of stuff. No, no, no. This is my hobbies. Okay, so this was just independent yeah. interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, worked at Chrysler, and when I retired, uh, I just had something to do then, you know, because I enjoyed framing. Okay. And uh, besides going business, and then when my son said this is what he wanted to do too. And we decided that this is a way to do it. Do you still have a lot of the pictures that you were taking uh, from back uh, when you began building that dark room and everything? Do you still have your collection? Huh. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think. I don't think he was very happy with the. Uh, with his you don't think he liked the, the photography angle of it. So if we if we uh he's a much better framer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Dan? No, I was uh yeah yeah I was um well I gave my cameras to my son when he went to college so he can have have him on a job you know right. outside hustle. I okay. did. So you so uh, you uh, were taking pictures then. I did take pictures. I studied yeah. photography at Howard University. Wow. I was a business major. And they didn't have any minors in the school of B at the time, but if I had a minor, I took photography classes with my electives. So Mm -hmm. I worked on newspaper staff as a photographer, and I also had a um, business where I would take pictures, um, you know, ad lib for people who needed portfolios. So you were taking pictures on Howard's campus, like I'm guessing, what 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 time was this? Like what? Um, around '86. So you probably have like a lot of cool pictures of like like Francis Cress Welsing and like Nikki Giovanni, like all these pictures. If you kept them, I'm, I'm sure if you did it for the school, it's probably like the school's pictures. But you may have taken some like iconic pictures just from being on a campus like Howard. I had a few pictures, mostly of um, I had some of Denzel when he came to campus and some of Bill Cosby and some other folks. 
you know, we have something in common, um, James, I did not realize until this very moment because I was the photo editor of The Meter, which was a student paper at Tennessee State University. Go ahead, girl. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Go and, ahead. And, and to Kari's point, there's something amazing about just, first of all, just being on a, on a black campus at Absolutely. HBCU. It's, it's just so awesome. Yep. But to be able to, to be, in a lot of ways, as a photographer, kind of front and center and yet invisible at the same time where you're capturing moments that are, that are defining that particular point in history and knowing that, that your voice, your visual voice is a part of that narrative has got to be amazing. Did you do like the football games? Did you, were you on the football field? And Yes, I did take pictures of football. It, you know, I'd say at Howard, many of the sports it was an odd school because it's not uh, some of the southern schools were more had a, a better tradition tradition for, for right. football right. basketball um but Howard was like a city school so they i wouldn't say disinterested but their attention span is <laughs> it was little to pay attention to these things so um i did take pictures on campus I've had a wonderful time um, going to that university. It was uh, certainly life-changing. Because it, it just in this, um, and I just got back from D.C., and uh, my, my, my brother really is like the working in Department of Public Works. So today, and, and as it's happening, you know, it's hard to capture it, but like it was a, a whole class in the, in the museum, they talk a little bit about uh, the urban-suburban transition of black America during the 80s, but they also highlight these black mayors. So like Mayor Maynard, uh, Marion Barry, uh, you know, Willie Brown, uh, Coleman Young, obviously, Harold Washington. So these moments in time as they're happening, and I, and I just collect like old Ebony's and Jets, like if I can find them online or go places, I get them and I, and I read them just because it's a, a, a moment in black history that's captured. And a lot of it is said through those photos because mm -hmm. those photos of Harold Washington winning his election, Marion Barry winning his first election, they speak a whole lot. And a lot of those photos really were taken by HBCU students. Absolutely. At those rallies, you you were <laughs> in the mix of like <laughs> some Black history that like is now part of the Smithsonian, you know, museum that people, you know, maybe a little bit. Well, <laughs> you know, so I know James, you went to Wayne State University, right? Well, uh, Wayne County, Wayne State. What's the other one around here? And didn't Center graduate from none of them. Oh. <laughs> so you've taken taken classes at all, at all of them. Yeah, they, your footprints in, in a whole uh, bunch of places. Yeah, yeah, I've just done some of everything. Okay, and and you talked about hobbies was your thing at Northwestern. Yeah. What were uh, what were some of your interests? Because I hear a lot about the old Northwestern and the different things that were there. Oh, well, the old Northwestern was uh, was sports, you know. I decided I wanted to go to Northwestern rather than go to Cass because uh, I thought I was a heck of a basketball player. Okay. Shortest thing in there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they told me little McKissick because oh. my brother was there. You know, he was a cross-country star. You know, Northwestern was the only school that ever 
ran uh, city meet cross country where all seven runners made city. Wow. It was only 15 city spots, hmm. and they made all seven of them. Hmm. That's a record, and nobody will break yeah. that. And that that definitely exemplifies mm -hmm. the excellence of Northwestern. Of Northwestern, yeah, exactly. Northwestern is a, is a rich has a rich tradition in mm -hmm. this community for sure. I did see a little scoffing happening over here with uh, uh, James E regarding the the decision from Cass to Northwestern. So I, I'm guessing you went to Cass. Of course. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. You know, now, I had to say right. on my father's behalf that Northwestern, his crew, you know, they had a strong, you know, tight relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, their Northwestern, in his, you know, class, um, they were tight. I have to give him that. But, of course, in the 80s, you know, to me, there's nothing but cast. Sorry, bro. Hilarious. I don't, you know, <laughs> Carl, did you go to cast? Mm -mm. What is the deal you with, know, with, with the technicians, the cast, man? They think they are the only yes. one. But <laughs> actually, when you travel, like, that's that's the first. Yes. When I was at D.C., people were like, did you go to cast? Did you go to cast? <laughs> and if you didn't, you no. get dismissed, like, immediately, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't ever hear, did you, did you go to the Lutheran West, which is where I went? Mm -hmm. And you know, I never get that. I never get that same kind no. of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. so, it's a little sad. Um, on the Lutheran West point, uh, I did go to Greenfield Peace, and they, that's a push school to Lutheran West. Mm -hmm. And I announced to the class that I would not be going to Lutheran West and because it was to too LeBron small James. for me. To James. <laughs> I'm taking my talents to Cass Tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a decision. Well, I am taking my talents. I, I will ne Take. not let you have my good talents in this small pedestrian school. <laughs> another another school that I'm just now hearing about, just from Pee Wee Harris's uh, Soul Day event, was like there was a school, Shaw College. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I hear it was like right over here, right on Woodward. Okay. And that that was a, another institution that had like all black. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was officially one of the HBCU schools at one point, right? Wasn't it an HBCU? I don't think so. Okay, I really well, thought maybe, it was. Maybe that was something to look into for sure. So, um, in it back to to I guess some more of the artistry of it, framing. How did you even get into framing? Was it one of those things where? Um, you you took on the task one day because you wanted to frame a picture of a family member. Like, what sparked the interest? Well, I had a dark room and I was doing all these enlargements, these large pieces, and I just had a portfolio full of large pictures, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how am I going to get these framed? And so I started looking into ways of doing it, and. Um, I found out that you know I could buy materials and learn and classes. Took a class on learning how to uh, cut a mat, and then the matting to me is is where it's at. Yeah, that's really your signature, isn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. You all, you all do amazing matting. So. So this is pre-YouTube days. So like you're not like looking at a YouTube video, learning how to do this. You went through a class, you developed the skill set in it. 
and this was just more of one of the hobbies just in the basement that you took up and took mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. When did you recognize that, like, oh, people want to pay for this? Well, that's that's when I decided I could uh, make a living at this once I retired. And I re they offered me an early out at Chrysler. And so I retired in 1990, I think. Mm -hmm. So I said, well... Um, after talking to my family and my wife, she said, yeah, go ahead and retire, and you can start your own business. And um, I did. And uh, framing, to me, is, is, is something that I enjoy doing. It, it is. Um, when I was at University of Michigan, I went to University of Michigan for grad school, in the art school. Mm -hmm. And one of my dear friends, uh, artists by the name of Franklin Willis. And Franklin Willis? I you, know him. You know Franklin? I got a couple of pieces in, in the shop. Are you serious? Franklin Willis. I've got a couple of pieces upstairs of Franklin's. Wow. Yeah, so we were in art school at that the same time. That means that Franklin's going to eventually have to be a guest on here. Yeah, we just had, is he still no. in Arizona or he was, he went. Not Arizona. We're going to have to figure it out. Franklin yeah, we'll have has to, to come back yeah. to Detroit. Franklin was, was a ball. So Franklin, I had the same dilemma because I was doing photography, and I had these images. And so Franklin taught me how to do framing at the school. He would go into the wood shop, and mm -hmm. we would build frames from scratch. And it was mm -hmm. so much work. <laughs> and, and he was quite a technician with it. So it was really learning from somebody who knew what they were doing. And mm -hmm. I still have a number of pieces that I framed myself based upon his instruction. Mm -hmm. And so I say that to say, I'm glad you guys are doing it because <laughs> it is a, it, it's a time work. and the energy. It's, it's a, yeah. It is a time and a talent and a commitment. There's a, a particular vision associated. And people don't always have a, a initially an understanding or appreciation of the artistry involved in framing, mm -hmm. but it is it is magnificent work. Mm -hmm. But um, I just wanted you to know that that I, for about six or eight weeks, I did a little framing <laughs> myself. It was good. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. So so with that flow, uh, what would you say as time went on? Was it more framing? Was it was it was it early on was it more framing and then you sold some arts and some prints or was it primarily prints was it primarily originals was it or what what was the ebb and flow of the business originally when people started coming to you um hmm. they were buying prints mm -hmm. mostly you know and what type of back, prints? see like back then uh we had distributors throughout the country and now there's no distributors. Hmm. What's a, so, can you explain like uh, what an art distribution company, like what, what would that entail? Like what would that be like? Well, a distributor would take uh, uh, artist's work as originals mm -hmm. and copy them and uh, either uh, copy so many and call them uh, um, limited, print limited or editions mm -hmm. and or open editions. I remember. No, I better not say that about Carl. Okay, continue without <laughs> saying that about Carl. <laughs> well, Carl Owens had a very popular uh, print mm -hmm. that he, that he um, had got from another guy, 
and uh, another photographer, in fact, and then he um, uh, made a um, drew the uh, picture, you mm -hmm. know, and it became very, very popular throughout the country because of the distributors, but it was only a limited edition. Mm. I told him, Carl, uh, you should have never made that a limited edition because it's so popular. So, you know, the limited edition ran out. So mm. he couldn't make any more. Mm. So I said, look, you make it smaller and then you can have an open edition of the small ones. And mm. then it, you know, it just sold everywhere. So, so uh, music, is really what led me into all of this. So it sounds as if like the the art distributors were a lot like a record distributor mm -hmm. in the sense of you go to an artist, you would license their work to distribute a certain amount mm -hmm. and with those relationships with the series of galleries or I guess it could even be a store because I remember malls used to have these print stores back when malls were a thing. <laughs> back when we had malls. So, um, yeah. so the distributor really worked on behalf of like, so artists kind of could like uh, rely upon the money that way. Whereas exactly. now it's like artists building relationships with galleries direct or galleries building relationships with artists direct. Well, artists are are doing it mostly on their own, you know, and it's hard because they have to get their name out throughout the country in mm -hmm. order for them to establish a name, you know. Mm -hmm. And I try and tell these young artists now, you know, uh, don't just make originals. Do some uh, uh, some prints print right. from the originals so they can get out uh, out and about so people will know who you are. But, you know, some artists just only want to make prints because they think, you know, their stuff is this and that. And uh, that's how they're going to make their name. Mm. But you, if you, you don't get it out among the, out throughout the so country. I, I just have two more questions that I know Frida wants to ask. So, like, one painting I remember in so many black households is the He Ain't Heavy painting, for mm -hmm. instance. I have mm -hmm. that one. Gilbert Young. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and that, mm -hmm. that print. I've seen so many times can the print so like a clothes print this sounds so much like music so like a a clothes print means maybe one distributor can distribute it whereas like an open print means because I've seen variations of it well you different sizes uh, cards uh, note cards uh, mini prints prints and uh, he ain't heavy as Got them all, you know, and they still probably sell. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't sold one in a while, but I still probably got got one or two at the shop. Mm -hmm. But that was a real popular print. Hmm. It, it, the intellectual property of this goes into deep. It's, it's just so many questions I have that are business based. But Frida, well, <laughs> I'm I'm interested in why they're no longer as many distributors. Yeah, what's that about? Well, the the art industry went down, you know, back uh, probably in, uh, when the economy went down. You remember when the economy mm -hmm. went down? You, you 2005. Know, yeah. 2005. I mean, it no. killed the art in okay. industry. It killed us, really did. And just a few people, you know, stayed around. And the distributors, all of them, there's no distributors out there now. It seems like, that seems like such an opportunity for 
uh, a young entrepreneur to take on such exactly. a task because exactly. it's an open market, Looking right? James yeah. E. Mm-hmm. You with James James E. and weighing in is that something that <laughs> that, that you you would have? Is that like part of your vision? Because I'm going to ask you in a couple of seconds. I have one other question before I get to it, but is that part of kind of how you envision some of the work that you're doing moving forward? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I moved back home um, to make sure that the legacy that my father started, you know, will be um, structured, that it'll be able to sustain another almost 30 years in business, and that the legacy, you know, of black business will be able to continue on through um, additional uh, generations. That being said, um, one thing that is important for us is that a lot of businesses that are successful are businesses that have been able to be in business for a while. So you learn what you need to do and what you don't need to do, and you don't have to make those same mistakes. So the next generation, which what my father was always impressed upon me, you know, we've you know, I've taken this business to um, five, you should be able to take this business to 10. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a strong community um, component, you know, really three components. So one component is community uh, and community service. So things that we would like to do is establish a nonprofit where we're able to bring young talented artists and give them opportunity to see what it is to run a business to learn how if they're artists and they want to um, be in the art industry you know find mentors we will help them with that and help them you know trans you know transform their digital um, economy mm-hmm. um, so there's things that we have to do as um, a business that's been in business for so long is really transform ourselves from being a brick and mortar place to being a, a virtual digital um, platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as well as um, providing avenues um, such as publishing uh, for young artists that are talented. You know, if you're an artist, you want to draw or you want to paint or you want to be a photographer, you want to do what your passion is, you may not want to do um, the business end of it. And we want to be able to provide a space that um, they can do their work and then they can trust that um, they'll be represented and treated with um, fairly with integrity. I have to tell you, I am so excited about the direction that you all are going with that because it makes so much sense. I mean, you're, mar- you're marrying artists and, and, and artistry with business and you're kind of regenerating or reinvigorating an industry because now we, we are having a different, we're at a different level from an economic standpoint, but we also are growing and maturing as a community around mm-hmm. appreciation of art. And it just seems like it's a limitless possibility as you, as you, pick up the baton from your dad. And I have to tell you, I am really impressed, James, that, that you get that, that mm-hmm. you understand 
the, the hard work and the gift that your, your dad has, has had to do and continues to be for this community, and you're willing to take that to the next level. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is that generational um, understanding and, and wisdom, particularly around business, that our community needs to, to have more of. I mean, mm -hmm. we got interrupted uh, when, when, uh, when Black Bottom and Paradise Valley sure. was paved through where we had individuals that did not have an opportunity to pass on that generational wisdom. And sure. now here we are ex witnessing what's happening uh, with you. And it's an ex that's exciting. I'm very excited very for you. Very exciting. Thank you very much. And um, we're both excited to be speaking with you folks today. Uh, thank you for really having us. Um, I'm excited and I'd like for you as we could continue to grow um, and expand and have openings. Uh, I want you both to follow us and you know participate. Oh yeah, we're 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 supporting, especially because you're next door and I'm here every Monday. We'll <laughs> gonna be here more. We're definitely gonna support. I, I have some more questions about expansion because like you're like the way that uh, faith <laughs> generally sparks a lot of freedom. Business sparks in me. Um, what's your take on what what uh, me and my friend? I'm cool with a lot of visual artists too. We call it the art of things. Like right now, it's the Internet of Things. So like I can set the temperature for my house with my phone i can do a lot of different things with, you know with the internet of things and you know like these refrigerators that talk to you and stuff but i also am very amazed with the art of things and i don't see a lot of black artists getting into this and i've talked to some visual artists about just you know uh seeing art beyond in a frame like the art of doors and actual uh, picture frames themselves uh, looking at that fish tank like art is now becoming every dynamic and aspect where like visual artists are interacting and so many of these visual artists are stepping up and, and helping design cityscapes and playscapes and playgrounds and, and and fences and just things that you wouldn't expect visual artists to be a part of I'm seeing a lot of white people involved in a lot of this. Not a lot of black people. Some are. Some are. Um, but w what's your take on, on, on this transition uh, into artistry living beyond uh, what we've uh, conditioned our mind to think is art? Well, from my perspective, I think for Matt Galleries, our whole point is to give a, provide a space for artists to be able to flourish and to be able to see their um, visions come to life you know and that vision like you said could be into everyday type of things and making it um, more hospitable mm -hmm. it could be graffiti you know which is um, a big thing for detroit you know it could be visual arts and design you know, art is not uh, limited um, in its scope. This really touches us. I'm curious because, Carter, that was a great question, but I'm really thinking about the graffiti artists as an example. Uh, we, we are, as you've indicated, we're seeing a lot more of that kind of imagery and iconography in, in the city as we redefine ourselves. And I know when I go to places like San Francisco, 
it is literally all over the place and it's wonderful because now you're living with art in a different way but have any artists come to you all or or, or is there an opportunity where artists can say I did this 50-foot mural but I would really love to have uh, a print up print of it that might only be four foot or four feet or six feet that people can then put in their homes have you been able to participate with graffiti artists bringing their their exterior art inside well, we want to be able to provide opportunity for that, which means um, in next year, we'll be investing in um, different print formats that we'll be able to, you know, publish, you know, different mediums. So since the technology, like you said, is um, developing so rapidly, we want to um, be on the forefront of that and be able to push new technology and make new technology available for uh, other Detroiters and really artists nationally. So I, I understand that you all are recent Motor City Match recipients, so congratulations to you for yes, that. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. Really want to, to find out what that means, uh, what that means for Matt Galleries here in the New Center area as my next door neighbor, what your vision is, where are we going with that, what's the plans? Hmm. So, um, thank you for that. Uh, Motor City Match is a great program for entrepreneurs that, and it's basically their bridge program. So, um, many times, you know, as uh, African American entrepreneurs, um, it's hard to get lending um, to do whatever that you want to do. Um, banks are not necessarily friendly. Um, but this program um, gives you the ability to um, get the extra, little extra funding that you may need to be able to finance a project, a build, or new construction like that. So our new construction, our new facility will be on um, Livernois and Seven Mile, will be uh, what used to be called Avenue Fashion. You know, they keep changing names of things. It's, but it's, it's still, not the Avenue of Fashion anymore? Did I miss that? Oh, they <laughs> live six, might be live seven, who knows? Live seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's still Avenue of Fashion to us. So we'll uh, have a facility over there that, and uh, we're um, finishing up with the financing um, and the help from the Detroit Economic Growth and Detroit Invest. Um, we'll be moving forward with doing the build. So it'll be a beautiful facility over there and it'll lend itself to more tech, um, virtual type things. So what, uh, what location exactly? Because we're real familiar with that area. So people want to know because people be like, is it the old Hunter Supper Club or is it the old B. Siegel? Is it the, you know. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it's one of, it's, on Livernois, on the west side of Livernois, um, south of Seven Mile, across from the old Comerica Bank. So you'll see when um, we'll announce, we'll have a grand opening, we'll have things on our um, uh, Facebook and Instagram and things like that. When uh, the build starts, um, we'll be sharing the information as the build starts to evolve. So, so does that mean that you'll be leaving us in the New Center area, or? Uh, my dad's interested in having two locations because he love loves his place. He loves being where he's at, um, and that's um, negotiable. 
Well, we'll I'd like to works I'd like to weigh in. I know you didn't ask uh, <laughs> James for my weigh in, but what the heck? I really want your dad to stay. <laughs> you know, let's face it. This area is getting ready to go through its own kind of uh, renov not renovation. What's what's the word I'm looking for, Kari? The word that the community says is gentrification. Yeah, that's the word that the word that some of the people come and say is revitalization. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere between gentrification and revitalization lies, James. Lies the truth. I love it. Like, what? Bike lanes. Why are we parking in the middle of the street right yeah, now? Because exactly. you gotta accommodate so, that. Exactly. So, um, but th this has definitely been um, an interesting discussion. I I'm very interested in uh, seeing where things will go. And where things will grow but as we talk about that one of the biggest things in marketing i always think customer retention is big i think that's the biggest thing so the average person that comes like i'm sure you've had customers that have stuck with you all for years so if a person's building their collection how should they go about buying pieces when do, when should they know do, do they should they have like seasonal pieces should they have annual pieces like what, what's your suggestion Get them, uh, get your pieces while they're young. You know, uh, em emerging artists, mm -hmm. where you can buy it a lot cheaper because once they get the name out there, then the prices is gonna go up very uh, rapidly. Right. Yeah, <laughs> rapidly. So, yeah. so we would come to you. Is there a website? Is there a phone number? How, how do we get in touch with uh, Matt Galleries? Mm -hmm. Well, they re can really reach out to, what's the um, shop's number, Dad? 313-871-7690. Yes. Or they can call me directly, really, at 313-933-3737. So we do custom installs. Um, you can come and speak to us about anything. My father's really open to uh, conversations, and he's very plugged into the artist community. So if there's someone or something that you're interested in, uh, he'll certainly refer you and get you set up. Perfect. I think that that's definitely what we got. So much more is good to ask. I'm surprised we didn't even go into you know, I have to ask that, uh, the faith-based questions, because the artistry, it's still like a lot of artistry, like most of the churches I go into, you know, I've been just snap. Anytime I see a black Jesus, I take a picture with it with my camera phone. I want to do a book of black Jesus images, a coffee table book. That That's my vision one day. But um, the artistry inside a lot of the churches and the paintings, because it, it it exists and i assume that uh it moves um what's uh what's you guys takes what what are some of the you you guys favorite images of uh the black faith experience well um the churches from the old neighborhood are still around and they're and they're still um there for uh the community and a lot of these artists is like going into them, you know. Uh, I know Tabernacle, St. Stephen. St. Stephen's for sure, uh, Shirley Woodson's work. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
and um, what's the church out there on Outer Drive? Uh, Fellowship. Fellowship. Mm -hmm. They have a large collection there. You know, he likes to he likes to pull me in on this faith conversation because he knows I get all excited. And I almost I almost went there with the whole legacy piece. I really did because, you know, James, as as you, I feel strongly about my father's legacy and, mm -hmm. and doing work to make sure his legacy is secured. So I really felt a connection with that. But I was I was not going to go down. Yes, I was not going to traverse down the faith piece. In but terms it's of a art. very cool. But that's a whole nother. I know. That really I know. is. I mean, we, we are already at time. And that's a well, whole yeah, nother. But you folks know how can cool certainly paintings. invite us back. And we would love we to talk to you. About that. And continue the conversation. Well, it would well, be I, wonderful. My favorite pieces, personally. Our Corinthians, back when uh, Reverend Jordan was over there, it's some pieces in there that are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I need to do a tour. I need to talk to Jamon about, like, we need to do the Black Church Art Tour. I love that. Oh, Black Jesus. That's, 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 that is, that's a great idea. Yeah. I, yeah as you can imagine, the, um, the images and what you see um, has a lot to do with how you feel about yourself. So it's very important, and, and we as a community, you know, as we grow and develop and mature, we'll re-realize, now that we haven't realized, but we are become, um, you know, able to, you know, gravitate to images that, you know, uplift our children, mm -hmm. uplift ourselves as we go through um, our daily struggles. No, I, I agree with you completely. Nothing, let me be frank, nothing makes me crazier than to go into an all-black church and see a picture of white Jesus hanging from above the pulpit. That makes me nuts. It really does. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I see you can't, you're trying to pull me back in. I'm not going to let you do it. You know I, you know I agree with you there. <laughs> I know, you are definitely I know, I know. off the old, old block with that one. Right. But, but, but James is exactly right. When we get to a point where we're able to see that our faith experience is directly in alignment with who we are and not who somebody else is, mm -hmm. is a real sign of maturity and growth. And we're going to get there. I mean, a lot of churches are there. A lot of, a lot of spiritual folk do get that. But, but there is way too much imagery in our houses of worship that does not reflect who we are mm -hmm. and 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 so that's a whole nother movement mm -hmm. you guys are going to be so busy saving the world through art i love it yes <laughs> yes well, so, everything hands in hands a village yes indeed. so thank you both thank you both so much it was great and uh let us know what else is happening we do this weekly so we're in support let us know thanks right. so much for being here appreciate thank both you. of you thank you what a blessing thank you, thank you. Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of Black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Black Coffee is recorded before a live audience every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern at PAUSE, located at 736 Luthrop, Detroit, Michigan, 48202. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Black Coffee Podcast and don't miss the history of Black Detroit.